Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Well, thank you again for joining us on Dairy Stream. A lot of interesting topics that we've been trying to relate, especially in light of COVID-19 and what it's meant to all of us, but especially those on the dairy front. And today we're going to try to make some sense as in dollars and cents out of the CFAP, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. And a person that certainly has some insight on that is Sandy Chalmers. She's the executive director for the Wisconsin Farm Service Agency. And Sandy, thank you very much for being with us today. I want to talk a little bit about the CFAP program. I think a lot of people know that, you know, there was the big implementation of the food purchases component and that happened rather quickly, but it's been a little bit longer for the financial assistance component. And that's what we really want to talk about today. But before we do that, maybe you can help provide some insight into the steps that the Farm Service Agency has been taking since the original CFAP began and where you are today. Sure, and nice to be with you, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity to speak directly to our our dairy producers because this program is going to provide some much-needed relief, uh, I have to say, and I know they're looking forward to, to receiving the assistance. Well, you'll remember at the very end of March, Congress passed that $2 trillion assistance bill related to the impact of COVID across the the country, and that contained some funding specifically for producers. And the secretary announced a, a couple of weeks later the framework for the program. So when Congress passed the, the CARES Act, it gave USDA funding for a program, but didn't really provide a framework for the program or any specific statutory language is, is so typical in a, a farm bill, for example. So USDA really had to create a framework that worked across all the the various commodities that have been impacted by COVID across the country and throughout ag sectors and come up with a a method that treated all those different commodities in an equitable way. And just looking at the list of of crops and animals covered by the CFAP program, you have asparagus and tangerines and feeder calves and milk and you know it's just a tremendous variety of crops and commodities that are covered by the the act so it did take some some time to put this together and as you know the program the the basic framework is the assistance is paid to producers of commodities who have suffered a 5% or greater price decline or had losses uh, due to market supply chain disruptions or marketing costs due to surplus production and shipping disruptions. So it's basically that 5% or more impact. And we also look at the the price loss from mid-January to mid-April. So that's the basic framework of the program. And for USDA to do price discovery on all those different commodities, you know, that involves some some number crunching. So in the end, it's taken a little more than two months from the president signing the bill to us rolling the program out. And when you look at the, the challenge, 
it's really a, a pretty amazing feat. I certainly can understand that. And, you know, a lot of people look at policy and know that that is created in Washington. But really, the people that are involved in the implementation are your members at the state and local level. And I can imagine what it's been like. But can you kind of explain a little bit to us, you know, what has been the training turnaround for you and your team in, in getting prepared for this? Well, we had the announcement by the secretary, I believe, uh, last week on Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And states across the country had their training on Thursday and Friday. So the Midwestern states were trained on Friday, and we received the handbook over the weekend. So I know a lot of FSA employees, instead of relaxing over the weekend, were studying that handbook. So they had the answers ready to go when producers started calling on, on Tuesday, the day after Memorial Day when sign-up started. You know, it's one thing to understand a program. It's a whole another thing to be able to explain it to a producer and give them the information they need to fill out the application or gather their records in, in order to prepare for the appointment. We're spending time with Sandy Chalmers, Executive Director of the Wisconsin Farm Service Agency, and we're talking about a CFAP. And I want to get more into the details of how this really impacts individual dairy farms. So I guess the most obvious question is, how is a dairy farm eligible for relief and how will the relief be calculated? Well, dairy's a little bit unique because dairy producers will be able to earn a payment on their milk, on their their grain, uh, including corn silage, and on their their sales of dairy animals. When they go into the beef market, they're they're eligible for a livestock payment. So for for the milk production, what the farmer will need to know to fill out the application is the milk production for January, February, and March, and that's broken out by month. The payments based on that first quarter production times $4.71 per hundredweight. And then there's a second part of the payment that's based on a national adjustment for the second quarter reflecting increased production during that time, a factor of 1.014 times $1.47 per hundredweight. So basically, it's an effective payment rate of $6.20 per hundred. And that's a first and second quarter production. And the second quarter production is calculated based on our first quarter. So dumped or disposed milk should be included in that total. And there's been some confusion about whether Ford contracted milk is eligible for payment. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. And the the non-specialty crops, corn, beans, oats, uh, sorghum, all all that is subject to, the payment is, is based only on the grain that's subject to price risk. That doesn't apply to milk. Milk is treated differently. So Ford contracted milk is eligible. Milk that's covered by dairy margin coverage or dairy revenue protection is covered and eligible for payment. Thanks for those clarifications. I think of all the questions a lot of farmers have been asking, those are near the top of the list, so it's good to know what is included. Again, we are having conversations with Sandy Chalmers, Executive Director for Wisconsin's Farm Service Agency, and this is Dairy Stream. We have a few more questions before we take our break, but I 
do want to move a little bit away from milk itself to uh, the livestock part of the business for producers. And really, when you talk about the different cattle categories within the livestock sections, which ones really are relevant for dairy farmers? There are two categories of livestock payments. One is total sales by species and class between January 15th and April 15th. And that's of the inventory that was owned as of January 15th. The second category is based on inventory. That doesn't apply to dairy because dairy producers receive a payment on their milk rather than on their in their herd. Right. So the, the applicable category for dairy is that sales category. And there we're looking at the classes are, are broke down for beef in terms of feeder cattle, less or more than 600 pounds, slaughter cattle, fed, slaughter cattle, mature, and all other cattle. So, for instance, dairy calves that are sold would fit into that applicable feeder cattle class, less or more than 600 pounds, and cull cows would, would count under mature cattle. If you, if you sold breeding bulls, that would go under all other cattle. So that's really a, a benefit to the, the to the dairy industry um, being paid on those those dairy cattle. But I, I would say the easiest way to explain this and understand the difference is that once a dairy animal is sold into the beef market, they're eligible for that sales payment on beef. Well, again, appreciate the clarification, and I hope that this is helping to answer a lot of questions that producers have. Of course, you can get answers specifically uh, from your Farm Service Agency office. Uh, a couple other things I just want to highlight. You did give us a nice rundown on the crop situation, but let's just talk crops that dairy farmers harvested in 2019 and then on had on hand at the time of the crisis. Are those storage crops, are they eligible as well? And if so, which ones? The most common crops that would be eligible for payment here in Wisconsin would be corn, oats, and soybeans. But there is a more extensive list, including malting, barley, millet, sorghum, sunflowers, and who knows how dairy operations have diversified. So I just want to make it clear that there is more than corn, beans, and oats that are eligible for payment. On the grain category, producers are based on the smaller of a couple of categories. One is your total 2019 production, 50% of that, or your production that was unsold and subject to price risk as of January 15th. So that'll take some record gathering there as producers try to document what they had in the bin that was not contracted on January 15th and then figure out 50% of their, their 2019 production. Now, I, I mentioned earlier that corn silage is eligible for that corn payment. Right. And you would have to create an estimate of your silage on hand as of January 15th, because nobody will have existing documentation <laughs> on that. But, you know, any 
any kind of logical explanation. Just take notes uh, based on your, your feeding log, based on the number of animals. You may track how much you feed per month, you know, anything like that that would give you a, a good, solid estimate on that number would be helpful and really sufficient for the payment. And then you'll, you'll have to calculate your tons into bushels, and you multiply the tons times 7.94 bushels per ton, and that'll convert your tons into bushels. And you would put those bushels on your application form rather than tons. So there's some insights on documentation. Certainly something else a lot of people have been hearing about is payment limitations. And we're going to be talking more about that and other topics with Sandy Chalmers, Executive Director of the Wisconsin Farm Service Agency, after we take this break on Dairy Stream. Dairy Stream is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for effective dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C., As the most effective lobbying organization for dairy farmers and business partners in Wisconsin, the Dairy Business Association ensures that the interests of the dairy community are well represented in state and local government. EDGE, one of the top dairy cooperatives in the country, provides farmers throughout the Midwest with a powerful voice, the voice of milk, in Congress, with customers, and within their communities. The Dairy Business Association and EDGE Dairy Farmer Cooperative are proud to bring you Dairy Stream. Well, welcome back to Dairy Stream. It is produced by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. I'm Mike Austin. Nice to be talking today with Sandy Chalmers. She's executive director of the Wisconsin Farm Service Agency. And we're talking about the financial aspect of the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, also known as CFAP. And Something that's been getting a lot of attention, Sandy, is the payment limitations and how they apply to certain entities in the relief program. We've heard the fact that $250,000 would be the cap applying to a person and legal entity for the total amount of CFAP relief across all commodities. But can you walk us through the intricacies of the limitations being applied to participants that are you know, in an entity with more than one member? Sure, and this is an area where I do recommend that producers with questions have a conversation with their their local FSA employees because, you know, a lot of money is on the line here, and I know that everybody wants to get this right. This program creates a, a, a unique situation for corporate entities, which would be corporations, LLCs and mm-hmm. limited partnerships uh, with more than one member in that it creates an additional payment limit of $250,000 for up to three shareholders in the entity. And the usual other eligibility requirements also apply where an individual producer has to certify that they meet that average adjusted gross income limit of $900,000. And they can top that if at least 75% or more of their income is from farming, ranching, or forestry. And then a producer also has to be in compliance with the highly erodible land and, and wetland conservation provisions. So that's that's the basic eligibility framework. I'll give you a, a couple of examples that, that maybe will illustrate for people how this works. Think of a, an LLC with three members, and we can say it's three brothers with, with equal shares. Under the original proposal, 
outlined by the secretary in March, that LLC would have been eligible for a total payment of $250,000. And we heard from members of Congress and from different industry groups that given the impact of COVID on markets and producers, that was just not enough. So the secretary came up with this increased payment limit. So up to three shareholders in the LLC can receive a payment of $250,000, and it's capped at at $750,000. So take that LLC with with the three brothers with equal shares again. Each contributes a required 400 hours of labor and management. So each one of those brothers is eligible for a payment limit of $250,000. Now, we have a lot of complicated structures in the dairy industry, and you may have a corporation with embedded entities, all with common members. Each individual member in that corporation is still limited to a payment, a total payment of $250,000. So even though they may be a member of multiple corporations within that overall structure, they're still limited to $250,000. And another common structure would be like a corporation for the dairy and a general partnership for grain or something like that. Again, with common members, each individual is still limited to that total payment of $250,000. And FSA has software that runs behind every program with entity structure information and individual ownership shares. So that's all tracked and payments are prorated according to the to the membership shares. And you may have heard the term direct attribution. That's that's what that means. The payments are, are tracked across entities and the payment limit still applies, even though the the producer may be a member of multiple multiple business entities. Certainly want to thank you for clarification. That's a lot of things to to share and a lot of things to dissect and also to ingest for our producers while they're listening to this conversation. So I just want to pause for a second because there are so many different details and different ways that people can be affected. I mean, is this all available on a website or this the kind of things that will be repeated when I'm talking to a a member from the Farm Service Agency? If I, you know, don't remember all this or have questions, what do you feel is the best venue to take? Well, first of all, when you're filling out your application, all you need to know is the members of your entity. That's what goes on the form. You don't need to know anything else. FSA takes care of the rest of it. But if you do have questions, and again, every every dairy operation is unique. That's right. something that I've come to become very, very aware of. And entity structures change quite frequently. So I do feel that this is a conversation. If you have questions, want to understand more about how this works and how you would be impacted, you certainly should have that conversation with your local FSA office. Sandy Chalmers, our guest, Executive Director of the Wisconsin Farm Service Agency, and you've done a good job of explaining and also simplify just what we have to do when it comes to that application. But can you kind of walk us through the steps farmers should be taking right now? 
probably the biggest amount of time here is going to be spent gathering the documentation. And this is a very unique situation due to COVID. We have FSA employees in our offices, but we aren't able to have face-to-face appointments with our producers yet. So understanding the critical nature of getting this assistance out to producers as quickly as possible, we have come up with a streamlined application process. So you you do need to have documentation on hand, but you don't need to to have an appointment and and take that to the FSA office. The application is a self-certification. So you're, you're basically certifying that everything you put on that application is correct. Now, types of documentation that that we would expect that you would use in putting together your application would be things like your milk statements, sales receipts, deposit slips, harvesting records, any kind of breeding or feeding logs, your vet records, sales receipts, anything like that will be helpful in helping you fill out the application. There is an online tool at farmers.gov that kind of walks you through the application and you work your way through, it looks like a workbook, and then you press a button and it automatically fills out your application for you and all you have to do is sign it and email it or mail it, drop it off with the FSA office. We are, of course, taking appointments and you can meet by phone or converse through email. We even do virtual meetings if that works for you. But it really will shorten up the process if you have your information and records gathered and ready to go for that appointment. So we can sit down and enter your information into the software and not have a lot of lag time. Speaking of time, Sandy, what about uh, kind of the timeline or timetable? What does that look like over the next few weeks in your helping farmers to sign up for payments? Of course, our phones are ringing off the hook, as you would expect, and a lot of our offices are booked out at least a couple of weeks for appointments already. And so this is a time where you could either gather your documents to prepare for an appointment. You could work your way through that online application tool and, and see whether you can get all the way through it uh, without a lot of questions and, and just take care of it on your own. I will say that farmers have an opportunity to to revise their applications. And I know there's there's a sense out there that people really need to rush to get their applications in quickly. And so, you know, it's possible, for example, that a dairy producer sent an application in on the first day, not knowing that corn silage or dairy animals were eligible for payment. So there is an opportunity to revise. I, I don't want anyone to, to kind of panic over that. So if you're doing a revision, do you have to go through a whole new application or how does that work? We are catching some of this as the applications come in and we just return the application to the producer. But I would just notify the FSA office and, and let them know that you've become aware of additional information and you'd like to revise your application. And you, you can revise your application even though you've already received a payment. So that's important information to have. Oh, that um, is, yeah. Yeah, it's really kind of typical for 
some details to kind of settle out in the first week or so of a sign-up. FSA does a, a great job of, of writing procedure and guidance for us to use in the, in the local county offices as we're talking to producers and, and processing applications. But it's, it's impossible to consider every possible scenario across the country right. when we're writing that guidance. So this is not unusual, and we're certainly doing everything we can to get information out there as quickly as possible. And so I do appreciate your efforts, Mike, and, and DBA and Edge Co-op in, in helping us get the word out. Well, we appreciate your expertise and all your candor and comments today. We've been speaking with Sandy Chalmers, Executive Director for the Wisconsin Farm Service Agency, as we talk about the CFAP, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program and the dollars and cents of that program. And Sandy's done an excellent job of making you understand what it takes to be prepared for your appointment and make everything for sign-up go as smoothly and efficiently as possible. Uh, now that we've done most of that, before we close, Sandy, the question everybody wants to get an answer to is, how soon could I, as a producer, expect to receive you know, my dollars for relief and what will those payments look like? Well, I, I heard the President of the United States say farmers can expect their payments about a week after they submit their application. So that's the time frame we're, we're sticking to. Okay. Um, it, it usually takes a, a day or two to, to get the application loaded in the software, get it approved. Some of these applications will have to be reviewed and approved by the, the local county committee. And then once the payments run, generally once that application is approved and paid, it takes two or three days for that payment to hit the producer's bank account. I haven't done a lot of calculating on what the payments will look like, but this this program is obviously heavily weighted towards dairy and livestock producers as some of the first to to be hit by that first wave of the the impact on COVID on our our market. So it will it will be very interesting to see how Wisconsin stacks up against other states when we look at total payments. Sandy, you've been very, very insightful, certainly very thorough. But as we close our podcast today, I just want to ask you, if you have any parting thoughts that farmers should know about or be aware of, either regarding to the relief itself or any past or future farm service agency actions? One thing I want our, our producers to know is that their initial payment will be 80% of the, the total payment, with the remainder uh, becoming available when the secretary is assured that there's enough money there so that everybody will get a payment. And it's a little bit unique for FSA because we have a fixed amount of money. And we've said many times it's a $16 billion pot of money. And that's an, that doesn't come close to covering the losses that producers have, have suffered as a result of COVID. Now, there, there is a real feeling out there amongst producers that if they don't get their applications in right away, they may miss out because there, there won't be enough money to, to go around, basically. But the, the payment structure was set with that in mind so that everybody who applies will at least get that 80%, and then more will become available as we're assured that there is sufficient money available there to, to go around. 
I've always said we've been very fortunate as a state and a country to have the proper leaders in position at key times. And certainly Sandy Chalmers has certainly been the right person to have as executive director for the Wisconsin Farm Service Agency during these very difficult and challenging times. And again, we thank her for all her time, her expertise, and her insights into just how this whole process will be working. I do want to thank Joanna Guza for producing today's version of Dairy Stream. We thank you all for your attention and your interest, and we will continue to try to keep you informed and get you through what now is the new normal because of COVID-19. I'm Mike Austin. Thanks for listening to Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us, podcast at dairyforward.com.